scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even though even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, let's pray. God, we come before you on this beautiful Sunday morning. We are thankful for many things. Despite difficult weeks and hard circumstances, maybe difficult family scenarios, Lord, we can, we can give thanks to you for the beautiful weather, the sunshine, and the bright leaves. So, Lord, today as we gather, as we connect with your word, I ask that you give us wisdom, you give us righteousness, you give us sanctification, and you give us redemption. In your name I pray. Amen. So before I have to explain this 730 times this morning, yes, it is me, Heath. I'm part of the team at Christ City. My beard got shaved off. Now, I hadn't intended to do that because, you know, I decided I'd trim my beard. So I set the settings on my beard trimmer and I promptly started trimming my beard and realized I had the cap off it. So there we go. I shaved my beard. Okay. I thought I'd get that out of the gate so before I got asked. Um, So yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. My name is Heath. I am one of the pastors here at uh, Christ City Church, and it is my joy to be able to uh, speak with you this morning. So about 15 years ago, I found myself a guest speaker at a church. Now, this church was in the middle of nowhere, Alberta, in a town probably you've never heard of called Cremona. There's maybe one or two people here who know where that is. Well, the difficult thing about this church was that, that my uncle had pastored this church for a long time. And so, even more weird, this church knew me, of me, and the exploits and the goofy things that I did as a teenager. Probably, in hindsight, not the best place to be preaching at. So as I speak, I'm preaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it's an amazing text. I'm articulating how my life has been changed by Jesus. How my life has been radically transformed by the cross. The grace afforded to me in that My life was changed, and as a result, I was heading to Europe at that time as a missionary. I had received a new identity in Jesus. I was now a steward of reconciliation, a steward of of showing a transformed life out of brokenness, hardship, and messed up situations. That was my sermon. So afterwards, you know, in a little country church, if you're, I don't know if you're familiar, at the end, you, you go to the back and you shake everybody's hand as they're going out the door. So I'm shaking hands and I'm, you know, doing what I do. And this lady comes up to me and she happens to be one of my friend's mothers. Thinking, okay. She comes up to me and she's kind of crusty, this lady. She comes up to me and she goes, well, Heath, I always wondered if you'd amount to anything. She turns around and she walks away. And in that moment, in me trying to decide whether I was insulted or congratulated or whether I was just like a little dense, regardless of her intentions in that exchange, 
I reveled in the fact that she saw that my life was different. You see, I was preaching out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, 21, where it says this. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This upside-down message of Jesus, the strong made weak, the perfect unclean, so that the weak could become strong, so that the broken may be whole, so that the right, you could become righteous, so that, so that the estranged could be reconciled to God. This was the change that that lady saw in my life. And this, this unifying upside-down reality is what Paul addresses in our text this morning. As one theologian says, he says, the truth of Jesus Christ doesn't so much as answer the questions we have, but rather it questions the answers we do have. Now I'm self-aware enough to know that left to my own devices, I'm pretty much a loser. I'm a nobody, really, seriously. And certainly someone with you know, undiagnosed ADHD, like really, someone with a thousand ideas, throwing junk on the wall to see what sticks, going around in circles and really never going anywhere. In Jesus, I have a new identity. In Jesus, I have a new purpose. In Jesus, I have something greater than myself. And that really is what we are longing for, isn't it? This lady saw in me something change, and it wasn't of my own device. See, reflecting on that moment in my life, the truth of Jesus didn't really answer my questions, but actually it hit me over the head multiple times with a hammer till I clued in and realized that it was questioning my answers. So I'll keep this uh, outline for us this morning simple because I know I'm competing with turkey dinner here. So what does the text say? That's point number one. And point number two is why should we care? What does the text say and why do we care? So what does it say? So we, if you're new, if you're visiting, we're in a series in 1 Corinthians, and, it, and we've, this text in chapter 1, verse 26 to 31 here is rooted in a discourse at the beginning, you know, a few Sundays back. Turn with me back to chapter 1 and verse 10, where it says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul's imperative for us in this portion of text here is a call to unity. So let me set the stage. Paul sends 18, month in Cor- in 18 months rather in Corinth. You can read that in Acts chapter 18. After he leaves Athens, he goes to Corinth, spends 18 months there. He launches a church. Now, society at large in Corinth was interesting. It was bustling culture. It was a, one of, of patronage, one of power, a community marked for striving and excellence, a culture marked by sexual fluidity and vice. This church wasn't created in a vacuum. The people that came in used to be like that. They come into the church and they still struggle with these same things in the context of Christian community. So they still engage in the same cultural mechanisms of social advancement, of of hard work, of wealth, of prestige, and of status. The ones at the bottom were trying to gain that. The ones at the top were trying to maintain that. And that carried through into the church. The central problem of division with Paul here that he deals with is which leader to follow, right? 
One, it was rooted in the idea that, okay, maybe there was this one teacher that uh, he, could, he could be a better patron or a leader, and so therefore I could gain and ride on his coattail to better status, better success, and therefore better wealth, power, and wisdom. You see, this appeal to Apollos or Cephas that you could read further at the beginning of chapter one, it stems from a desire to raise, to raise their uh, power, raise their status, on the merit of who they associated with. Paul writes to correct this bias. He wants to restructure what wisdom looks like, what power looks like. You see, he realized that these, this striving in within the context of the Christian community was fracturing it and was killing it. So Paul, last week, in a text that Jake preached, we saw that, that in Jesus, the foolishness of God outstrips human, human wisdom. rather, And that the weakness of God outstrips human strength. Paul calls them back to Jesus Christ. He calls them back to his work on the cross and his resurrection. And this is the vein that Paul now takes up as we approach this text right now. Paul directs, deals directly with the personage of the Corinthian church. So turn with me to the text. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, it might be easy to read verse 26 and assume that the church was a, a homogenous group of like Stanley Park coyotes nipping at the heels of the status elite. No, we actually know by reading the book of Acts and we also know by reading other of Paul's letters that this was a diverse group of people. You see that Crispus was the, was the leader of the Jewish synagogue. He was, he was in this church. Also, you see Erastus, he was a, a leader, a city treasurer. He was part of this church as well. So we see a diverse church marks with, marked with internal stratification. Privilege and bias based on the prevailing system, the prevailing caste system of the Greco-Roman world. It's worthwhile to note and well-documented that opponents and persecutors of early Christianity recognized the radical nature of Christian community. Christianity was threatening, not because it, you know, not because it was a religion, no, because it threatened the political, social, and economic stratification of their worldview. See, they didn't see Christianity threatening that way. They saw it as a societal threat. Christians weren't good citizens of Rome. Christians were a danger to the status quo. Christians were a danger because they, the radical nature of the cross leveled the stratosphere of power and prestige. And it's also the same reason why the church grew. Paul confronts the Corinthians with this truth, saying, if you call yourself a follower of Christ in his resurrection, if you call yourself a Christian, if you believe in the power of the cross, then why don't you look any different than the world at large? Why haven't you changed? Why are you still engaged in the same issues of power and control that the world outside is? Paul says in verse 26, he says, consider your calling. In other words, evaluate your faith in Jesus 
Because God chooses foolishness to shame wisdom. God chooses weakness to shame strength. God chose what is low and despised, the nobodies, to bring into, into something things that are. See, Paul, in these statements, he simultaneously shreds the, you know, the status-based resume of the elites, and he also, at the same time, crushes the worldly aspirations of the lower class, trying to reach higher, and he does so by the cross of Christ. And there's a, a theologian with, you know, we've all, every time we reference this theologian, we all comment on his name. So Ben Witherington III, which is an awesome name, by the way, he says this, and is really powerful about these te- this text. He says, this theology of grace will undercut all factors that promote factionalism. Grace is not only the great unifier, but also the great leveler in the Christian community, which, if taken seriously, nullifies the importance of all cultural devices used to create social stratification. Christ City, the Corinthian church did not take this theology of grace seriously. Do we? Do we? Paul rests his authority not on his eloquent wisdom. No, he rests his authority, as we'll see next week, on the cross of Christ. Look at verse 30. It says, because of him, he's talking about God, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. In Jesus, through Jesus, by Jesus, the wisdom of God is displayed, simultaneously given to us, Anthony Thistleton, he's another theologian, he says this about this text. He says, Christian status depends on the gift of grace and divine verdict, not upon compensatory self-esteem or self-promotion as wise or as spiritual people. It's not on the Corinthians' merit, it's not on their status, but rather entirely on the initiative of God, a God without which the Corinthians would either continue to remain either, you know, power-hungry and controlling or striving nobodies. Conversely, it is through this, it is through the merit of Jesus that provides simultaneously wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now, if you do not know what those terms mean, hang on a second. I will explain them in a bit. See, wisdom is now defined in light and in merit of the cross, this acting salvation that brings us righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. These things are given. These things are given to us, us that have no merit. They are given to us so we can actually have merit based on the cross of Christ. See, these terms all here, they're describing, imagine a diamond. They're describing all facets of what being saved looks like. Paul, in verse 31, he then states, he says, the reason for this, the reason for this, this work, it's on Jesus' behalf. The reason for this is so that we can boast in God, so that none of us are greater than the other. All of what we have, all of what we've been given is from God, and therefore we have to boast in God. See, as I was reminded by this crusty lady at the church, it's only through God and the person and work of Jesus Christ that I am anything. That I, it's only through the work of Jesus on the cross that I can attribute to any sex, sex, success that I have, any status or, or acumen that I accrue, anything that I wield in my life, it is purely a gift from Jesus. Because let me tell you, I messed up. See, this upside-down foolish work of God, it brings an inside-out change within me, within you, 
in Christ. In Christ, I have an identity. In Christ, I have a purpose that I once lacked. And this is much cause for worship and boasting, isn't it? You see, my parents are sitting here this morning. If you don't believe me, you can ask them. This is why I worship Christ City. This is why I get up in the morning. This is why I can revel. This is why I, this is why I do what I do, because through Christ, I have received wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. And this is what Paul is saying here to the Corinthian church. You've got this messed up. You think it's this way, but really, it's this way. So that brings us to point number two. So why should we care? Why should we care? Now, you might be sitting there. You're going, okay, Heath, that's really good for you and all. You know, but why should I care about words written 2,000 years ago about a church fight? Like, really, isn't that what the church does? The church has been fighting for 2,000 years. Why are we any different here and now? Why should we care? Give me one reason why I should care. Well, we've articulated it nauseam almost in the last few weeks of just how much Corinth is like Vancouver. You know, it's a global, you know, port city of wealth. It's a city of excess. It's a city of um, influence. It's a city of pluralistic uh, ethics and sexuality. It's, it's progressive. It pushes the boundaries of what is possible. That's our city. But we also have a culture of self. Status uh, based on wealth and meritocracy. It's almost like kind of like a gold wild west here, isn't it? it if... If you, there are opportunities, and all you have to do is to know who to be connected to or who to step on to get there, right? That's what we live in. See, on the surface, this text has significance in and of itself just because of that alone. But I think there's something greater under here. There's something that's just under the surface. It's the, the fungal disease that can't be scratched. And I think it's this. I know that some of you sitting here this morning, you've looked at Christian community and we struggle with the question, is this all that there is? Is this all that there is? I thought there was supposed to be something more. I thought that Christians were supposed to be different. Is this all that there is? See, there is a, lear- a yearning within us for an acceptance far greater than when we experience. There is a desire for diversity beyond our capacity. There is a gnawing need to be known and to know greater than what we see. There is a hunger for authenticity and relationship that remains ethereal and fleeting. Why is there conflict? Why is there factionalism when there should be unity? Welcome to the question of the age. See, many of you, I know, sit here week in and week out and wonder why in the very place where these things should be answered, where they should be met, Why do these things still remain distant and unattainable? Why? Is this all that there is? See, I know some of you are struggling because I struggle there. I struggle there. Why does Christian community sometimes feel lonely? Weak, hollow, and wanting, just like the culture at large. You see, this issue manifests itself here 2,000 years after this written text to the Corinthians. It's different than in Corinth, but it's still here, and the root is very much the same. You see, the issue is this. We have an unrealized expectation of something from the community church that that we really can't, uh, or we really don't want to participate in ourselves. We desire it, 
but we don't want to actually engage in it. Tolstoy famously said, you know, everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to actually change what? Themselves. See, our problem is a metaphysical, spiritual case of not in my backyard. I want, rea- I want this reality. I want unity. I want someone else to accomplish it for me, though. I want something deeper. I don't want to do the work myself. In Christ City, that is the nature of our problem. Ironic thing is that Jesus actually has done all of that for us. So why do we struggle? See, we're just like the Corinthians. We are drawn to and hunger for the unique benefits of Christian community without the radical nature of actually living in the gospel, the leveling grace that has been articulated for us. We don't want to be brought down, and certainly we do not want a cosmic hand up. We want to do on our own, by our own merit. We want to lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps, don't we? And some of us are really good at it. We act just like the Corinthian church. We are saved by grace, and then we take the reins of our ethics and our lives, and we resort to the same mechanisms and ideology of patronage, wisdom, and power that our culture engages in. And you wonder why you're left wanting and hungry for more. Instead of community based on the life and around Jesus, we actually settle for a dysfunctional country club where no one can enter. We hunger for truth. We hunger for forgiveness. We hunger for reconciliation. But really, we're surfing into Fino. You can laugh. That's okay. Christ City, this letter and this particular text is important for us because Paul's words this morning not only have transformative implications for our existence as a people, but also his words have social and ethical consequences associated with this new reality. Said another way, Paul's words for us here have implications of what it means to be a Christian, but also it has consequences for what it means to live and act as a Christian. Not only are we changed through Jesus, but as a consequence of that change, it affects how we interact with the world. How could it not? How could it not? But it also affects how we engage with one another in the context of our Christian community. Because we are different, we should be explaining and, and displaying university, diversity, something to boast about that we are all at this level boasting that we can have these things through Jesus Christ. We are just like the Corinthian church. We're bifurcated and we're separated and, and, and we accept this new identity on, in Christ. We want to be saved without the wisdom and the power to actually live that out. The result of which is conflict, stratification, and a continued exploitation of the weak and the vulnerable amongst us. Meritocracy all over the world. And this is birthed out of, out of our, our own doing rather than the gospel. And this, this is why we're like sailing with no rudder and no sails, just floating. Allow me to be blunt this morning. I am older than most of you. I know it's less, it's less visible without the white beard, but I'm older than most of you. And during this, the last two years... I have never seen the church more fractured. I've never seen the church turn in on itself the way it's doing right now. I've never seen the church more divided, more angry than what I see now. 
We don't struggle with old school patronage like the Corinthian church. No, our problem, Christ City, is the struggle with ideological patronage. Our Apollos and Cephas that we try to follow are expressed right now in the forms of, do I follow mask rules and vaccine protocols? Or do I live in my freedom? Shame on us. Shame on us. See, these things are killing us. I know, I know that some of you, as you gather for your turkey dinner, whatever that might look like, you will fight with those you love about these things. See, as Christians in this city, in our homes, in our community, we should have patience with one another. We should be noted for our sacrificial care for one another. We should, we should be known for love and acceptance beyond what feels comfortable. We should not be marked by ideological patronage. This must not be so. We need the Paul, words of Paul once more to give us a fresh new. We need a, a new vision of what it means to be in Christ in the church. So that in the time that I have left, I want you to show you something beautiful. I want you to not see Christianity and, and what we live and how we act as a mirage. I want to show you a well-worn path of faith that has lasted throughout centuries. I want to reintroduce you to the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul articulates for us in this text. Let me reread the text for us this morning. For consider your calling, Christ City. Not many of you are wise according to world standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God showed what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let no one boast, boast in the Lord. Now there is something really beautiful going on in this text that you know, we miss as we just drive by it. So let's pause, let's linger. You'll notice that the term here, God chose, God chose, God chose. God chose foolish, God chose weak, God chose low and despised. God chose the things that are not, the nobodies. Paul has been using contrasting language all the way throughout chapter one. And here he brings it to a crescendo. And he says, look, because of God, Corinth, you are in Christ Jesus. The place where the foolish receive wisdom that they hunger for. But it gets better. It's a place where the weak, you know, those who are lacking social influence, those who are devoid of status, the weak become righteous, which really means a state of being declared accepted. The weak become accepted. In Christ, the low, the despised people, the ones who are ostracized by society, it is though, it is through Christ that they become sanctified. In other words, what that means is to be set apart, to be holy, privileged, access as one who belongs. The despised become the ones who belong. Oh, that's powerful. The nothings, the nobodies, they receive redemption. And this, this word redemption is a word to describe freedom from slavery, emancipation in Christ. The nothings are transferred from a place of slavery, of pity, of scorn, disdain, to a position of dignity and freedom. 
Christ said, regardless, regardless of our status in this world, before God, the point of this text is before God, we are all foolish. We are all weak. We are all despised, and we are certainly all nobodies. Do you see it? In unity here, our real patronage is found in God through Jesus. Jesus became foolishness for us. A Messiah riding in on a donkey of all things to go to his death. Jesus was weak. He had no status. He was betrayed by those closest to him. Insignificant. No advocacy groups to make sure he has got proper housing. No. Jesus was despised. He was beaten. Mockingly, there was a crown of thorns thrust on his head, pushed into his scalp till he was bleeding. He had a mocking sign put on the cross where he died. Jesus became nothing. Insignificant, innocent, condemned to death so that all believe in his name might receive wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Paul says that that through Jesus, this upside-down power dynamic structure, we receive, it becomes ours. It becomes ours. And it changes the very fabric of what it means to be a human. Christ said, through Jesus, I am am not the same person. I am not the same person. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. This is a profound verse in my life. And you'll see why. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You're like, okay. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, or greedy, or drunkards, or revelers, or swindlers, or they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Christ City, we are all have been those people. Level playing field. And such were some of you. But you were washed. Oh, You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Paul uses different terminologies for the same things that he says in chapter 1. The answer to our unity problem, Christ City, the solution to our deep yearning about Christian community and our expectations surrounding it is in transformation found only in the work of Jesus Christ. It is there we are washed, we are made clean, and we actually have a, a place where we can connect with one another a level playing field. See, this is who you once were, and this is now who you are through Jesus. We should now be a people marked by wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So the question I have for us as we close is this. Are you, are you really okay with the fractured nature and the status quo? Are you, are you really okay with a mirage of Christian community? Are you really okay with always wondering what's next? Is it there? I don't know. I see it. Maybe not. Are you okay with that? Or will you risk? Will you confront your duplicity in this world? Will you confess your need for status, the desire to be right? Will you repent of your thirst for power?
thirst for power on your own merit? Will you set aside your ideological patrons? Will you take my hand and risk with me? That together in Christ we can be a transformed people. That the old crusty ladies of this world, they will notice our unified community. And they will marvel, however insultingly, at the change. Christ City, I do not say this as something that I look forward to. I say this as somebody who has seen this type of community in, in action, in real life. It's messy, oh, but it's beautiful. Will you, this morning, surrender to Jesus and receive wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption? Will you allow Jesus this morning to question the answers you came in the door with? Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we struggle with these ideas. We confess that by our own hand, we want to control the situation. Or maybe it's just me, I confess. So Lord, I ask that you'd give me, you give us wisdom. You give us righteousness that we can't have on our own. You'd, you clean us, you make us holy by sanctifying us. And Lord, that you redeem us from the slavery of our own minds. In this we pray, amen.